Hi and welcome to the 42 Six Nations show. I'm Mary Kinsella here in the 42 Towers in Dublin. This week we're joined by Lynn Cantwell, the former Ireland Centre and of course now a regular columnist on the 42.ie. We're going to chat strategy and tactics, what's involved and what are teams looking to do in certain areas of the pitch. Lynn, thanks a million for joining us. No worries, good to be here. Yeah. First of all, to look at the Six Nations uh, generally, I guess, so far, two losses and one draw. Has it been a negative campaign overall, or, or what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think you go into every campaign obviously wanting to perform and wanting to win. Mm. Um, and I think whether it's because of injury or whether it's because of our results, we've been able to turn this, or Ireland have been able to turn this um, Six Nations into a, a learning ground and a growing ground and a, and a development ground, which is, I think is necessary. And I think if we come out of this Six Nations campaign having achieved that and growth in that phase, then I think it's a very positive campaign. Mm. So to date, naturally, I don't think Ireland are performing, but I think it'd be wrong to look at the Six Nations as a and analyse our performance because I don't think we're at the stage where we can get down into the nitty gritty of our performance because we're not there yet. We're still kind of developing and growing. Yeah, like it's easy to make excuses after the fact or after a couple of bad results, but is that kind of a natural phase of, of this kind of team because you're coming off a World Cup, they've lost Paul O'Connell, a bit like the women's team losing yourself and Fee Colin. Um, is that kind of natural? kind of progress into a new team, new leaders, mm. does that always have to happen, do you think? I don't think it always has to happen, I think, but I think it commonly does, definitely in the modern game, because just by nature it is a type of, you know, it's 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 results now, it's a it's a performance or business type of a type of a um, of an environment and as a result of it we need, you know, the the coaches because of their contracts and so on, they want results now. But I think mm. just by nature, um rugby and sport are in cycles so you build up to four years you build up to eight years and as a result of it you know the bigger picture it's important to succession plan and trying to build so that those lows don't happen but they naturally do um, after every campaign so I think therefore you have to keep the perspective on it to make sure to not get too disheartened yeah. by what's happening now because it is part of a bigger picture and you hope that you know the powers that be are planning for that uh, that next phase yeah like, like one of the complaints maybe or concerns after games you hear from some fans would be that maybe Joe Schmidt's game plan isn't working. I think there's that word is thrown out there a lot and, and strategy maybe is a, an element of the game that we don't understand as well as players and coaches do obviously. Um, in terms of like starting at the basics, what to you is a, is a game plan? What, what is Joe Schmidt trying to do when he formulates a game plan? Um, I think a lot of factors um, are involved and, and are considered in creating a game plan and I suppose if you look at what you have as your team and then what the defence has. So I think fundamentally you have to identify what your team, where they are and clarifying where they are and that will be based on um, the, the players that you have, the mistakes that you've been making, the problems that have been happening on the pitch and being able to identify first and foremost correcting what is going on there um, and then based on that when, when, when you've addressed that it's looking at the defence and trying to identify their weaknesses where gaps are occurring and then trying to match up and align where you're at and where their deficiencies are and trying to exploit and pick certain things that you can exploit those deficiencies based on what you can do. Okay. Um, so that, that probably sounds a little bit complicated but the, the, the actual practicalities of that will be analysing your performance and obviously the video analysts and the coaches really detailing where your gaps are, where your deficiencies are um, in that game in the last two or three games just to get the trends so that they're real um, and then obviously looking at the video analysts looking at the uh, um, 
the defending team that you're going to come up against um, and being able to try and come up with a game plan and usually it's only two or three points that you'll be able to target yeah. um, and then in training that week it'll be about putting drills into place to be able to target those and your decision makers identifying when these are happening so that we make choices to exploit that space. Mm. Like how narrow are they? You mentioned two or three points there. Does it have to be that narrow because I guess for any human being it's, it's hard to maybe pay attention if a coach is going to run through 12 or 14 different points with yeah. Joe Schmidt himself might understand mm. does he have to narrow that down and, and kind of funnel it for the players yeah I think so and I think again in context of where we're at I think in this phase because it's a rebuilding phase I think there will be an element of general plays and general understanding of what to do in certain parts of the pitch and that's just general rugby knowledge I think when it comes to World Cup time the nitty-gritty of the, the detail behind what your strategy is and what your game plan is 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 a, a narrower focus so say for example when when we were playing in the World Cup in 2014 when we were playing New Zealand we had two or three um, really really important points that we were trying to exploit and one of them for example was we identified that 60% of the time when New Zealand received the ball um, from a kick they kicked back in open play okay. um, and those kicks didn't go to, to touch obviously they were they were kicked back in order to play so we knew that when they kicked back or when we kicked to them sorry is that they were going to um, kick back which meant that when we received that ball we counter-attacked so it meant that everybody was in the mindset that we know we're going to receive this ball back so everybody is aligned to counter okay. and it just meant that we were way more effective in our attack then and we scored from the try because we preempted we knew what they were going to do and that was something that we wanted to exploit if you hadn't identified that in your um, video analysis you probably would have kicked to New Zealand expected them to receive it to play it or just to kick to touch and therefore you're just your mindset as a player is you're about to switch off because you know it's going to settle as opposed to being in the mindset of oh let's get ready to counter and it just meant there were more players aligned to try and attack and it just meant it was harder for them to defend so that's maybe in the players heads off the ball so I think I remember the try was Neve Briggs countered and Alison Miller ended up scoring left corner. Yeah. So when they kicked, what, the rest of the players who were retreating are thinking, I need to support that, that yeah. main ball carrier? Is that, yeah, is that kind of absolutely. Thing? So like two or three of the pack you'll see um, where we're backtracking with the intent to counter again as opposed to switching off because the ball is going to be kicked into touch, for example. Okay. And it just means that as a defence, so when New Zealand kicked back to us and we received it, when they naturally were in a defensive position then, they had more players to defend, which made it harder, which therefore meant that we created more space out wide because our um, players off the ball were engaging yeah. the defence and it meant that we scored in the corner. A try based on strategy, that must be a pleasure for the coach and nice. players. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Let's look at a, maybe a scenario that's going to happen in every single game. You're in your 22, the ball's here, under, or under, I guess trying to exit. When you're in this zone, maybe the other team has kicked off to you. I mean, what are the key kind of strategic focuses? Is it just get out of there? Is that the, is that the overriding aim? Yeah, I think... Um, I think in this zone, naturally, our priorities are that we want to, yes, get out of that zone to um, eliminate threat and to eliminate, obviously, any turnovers, but also to gain position. Yeah, so you're it's a risk being there, isn't it? It's, it's a risk being there because, naturally, it's close to um, the attack and, or, well, now the defence, but the attack and try line, so. Okay, so, so building a kick, is that something where you, you need to do that quickly or do you need to, do you need to be patient in doing that? What, what are the kind of key focuses when you're actually building to kick? Yeah, so usually um, you will have exit strategies. Um, so if you receive a kick, just depending on where you receive that kick, like nowadays, most kickers will have four or five zone that they can kick to. You know, more commonly, it's just that um, top, say left, say for example, deeper left there's kind of central options or say over here and um, depending on where the pack are aligned so say for example if it if we receive it over where these guys are at the yeah. moment and um, 
your exit strategies, the players will go into that exit strategy mode where they'll secure the ball, so that ball has to be very, very secure, and you'll probably commit more players to that than, say, for example, you would if we were attacking in, in the defensive um, 22 because we know this is just secure ball as opposed to I don't need to get out of this ruck to be an option elsewhere. Attack, yeah. yeah, so it's yeah. really, really secure. It's really, really important. Um, <clears throat> it just depends on the kicker will dictate the angle of the kick and where they want it. If it is a thing that they want to kick to get a better angle because they're a left-footed or a right-footed kicker, then they will ask for two phases. But again, those, those rucks need to be really, really secure and the pack will have to align their mentality to that, that they just need to secure, secure and not okay. be... Um, they, you don't want any loose runners to obstruct that 9-10 channel because that needs to be quite clear too. Yeah. Um, and obviously then just clearing the ball so that you get a good position so you're, um, you're getting out of any risky zones. Yeah. Ireland tend to, like they tend to box kick, <coughs> they tend to exit with a box kick a lot, quite mm -hmm. a lot. I thought against England actually one of the things where they maybe came up short was actually providing a screen for Conor Murray in his box kicks. Um, there was one example in the first half where he, he, he kicked poorly, Conor Murray, but he was under intense pressure. The kind of English guys had closed off. They came up either side of the ruck, and there was no real screen here. Mm. You, see, you actually saw England do it really well. I think Dylan Hartley actually shouldered CJ Sander one stage. Obviously, risking getting a, a blocking offence or whatever, but those little details, like coaches talk about fine margins, but those little things can actually make a difference because Conor Murray kicks poorly and England are straight mm. back on the attack. So. I think those little fine details are really important. Yeah. One of the other ways, I guess, to get out of your 22 is actually to run it. It's, yeah. it's something that's perceived as a huge risk, but we've actually set up a little scenario here. Uh, Italy are actually posing as the English team in this case, but Ireland actually ran out of their 22. They tried to run out of their 22. It was actually a bad pass from Rob Kearney. Hmm. They ran a little screenplay to Johnny Sex, and he passed out the back to Kearney, who passed to McCloskey. He gave hmm. him a pretty awful second touch in his international <laughs> test debut, but like, was that a good strategic decision? I think they had Anthony Watson back here, they had Billy Vinopola and Mike mm. Brown. Are outhouse constantly looking for those chances and, and yeah. maybe the opportunity to run? Yeah, absolutely. And as I say, like we know that it's not it's not a coincidence that people kick out of obviously the twenty two because we just want to get possession. If you try to run out of your twenty two, then that's very hard for the forwards, the pack, and that just you uh, expend a lot of energy to get here when you could just kick it and, and obviously save a lot of energy. So that's the reason yeah. why usually we kick out of here. But naturally, tactically, if you're going to kick your base net on your numbers, so um, obviously Sex and um, Murray would. It's just that they're analysing, they're doing their numbers the whole time, they're looking for mismatches. So naturally, uh, because teams know that Ireland kick quite a lot, usually they'll, they'll throw a couple extra players back, which okay. naturally means if those players have been extracted from the line, there's space out, out wide. So usually if this um, winger will drop, that's, that's a no-brainer, that's a, a huge mismatch. We've got two over. So if these passes can be quite effective um, and accurate, then it means that we have we've got two very fast guys against a drift defence with just buckets of space which, which means that there's a lot of opportunity out here but only if it can be executed effectively inside. Yeah. I think that was the thing that was probably failing. Yeah. Ireland actually put themselves under quite a bit of pressure but I think the thinking behind it was actually a very sound. Yeah. Um, it's actually interesting that Sergio Parise drops deep for Italy a lot. Like he mm -hmm. likes getting back in that position. He probably sees himself as a bit of a playmaker and he wants to get on that ball a lot but it, it can leave them a little bit short maybe in the front line so yeah. I definitely think there's opportunities there for Ireland but I guess just to sum up, in this zone, you've got to be really secure with the ball and, mm. and you've got to just 
maybe build a better position. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Like we spoke before about the, the decisions that Ireland will make. We, we made um, our decisions based on three principles, whether position is our priority, possession is our priority, or points is our priority. And a lot of our decisions on the pitch and what we do in those is that relative to where we are, are in the game and the threats um, that are being imposed to us on the game, what we want our outcome what we want to achieve by our outcome. So in this part of the pitch we want to achieve a good position and that's why we kick or run it depending on what the defence are doing. Okay. okay, so moving away from that, I guess the red zone or green zone as some teams call it, I think people get confused between that. Red zone we'll say <laughs> and green zone is the attacking area. To this kind of amber zone or orange zone, white zone, whatever you want to call it. Between the 222s generally is where teams like signify that zone. What are the key things in that area? I guess it's a, a really good attacking opportunity yeah yeah absolutely like we identified here um, commonly the overriding outcome that you want to achieve in this zone is for position so to get out of it um, and secure position elsewhere so that you provide a good platform for you to attack from that you can be more effective in um, and in this zone this amber zone that we're talking or orange zone usually this is a zone where we're trying to make something happen and um, so that we can uh, create mismatches make breaks we have just more kind of freedom in this zone to uh to create space so that ultimately we can get into our green zone which we know is which we know is easier to convert to points yeah i guess it is a great opportunity because the, the defensive team has to cover obviously their front line they don't want to get breached up there but they also have to cover a lot of backfield and probably it's, it's more difficult than actually defending against an exit because the team can play attacking kicks, they can play grubbers, they can play a diagonal, a Gary on a bomb, so there's a lot more for the wingers to be thinking about, so you'll often find their, their drop back obviously to, to cover that space. Yeah. We're going to look at one example here maybe, um, again Italy are posing as the English team, they attacked against, this is for the first try, Anthony Watson try uh, that England scored against Ireland a couple of weekends ago. Um, like, How difficult is it for the defensive team first of all in this area? Because Midfield attacking scrum seems like a fantastic opportunity because you have all that space to play with. Um, it is difficult, um, but again, our principles are simple enough. Like as an attacking team, so if, if we were England playing in blue, yeah. um, then what you will base if it's a midfield scrum, you're basing which side you go based on what Ireland are doing. So for me, um, I we would make a lot of decisions based on the fullback. So if I was a back, I'm looking where is my fullback? Is it this side of the scrum, and therefore I don't want to go there. I'll go the other side because then we've got a mismatch if I add in my nine. Um, whereas England chose to go this side. Even though the fullback was here, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Um, equally, we had, in order to combat that, because Ireland obviously were trying to push them to go the other way, and um, we had Connor Murray here, which meant he was he had been disengaged from the scrum, which kind of, in a way, he's trying to act as a um, as an open defender to, um, to come straight onto the nine. Um, which meant that it was even harder for England to yeah. um, to breach our line. Now they did, which is probably something that, that we were doing an error from a defensive point of view, but probably tactically it wasn't a good idea for England to go that way based on what we've said because they've already, they're already matched up numbers, okay. whereas based on other decisions there are other parts of the pitch that they could have attacked where their um, chances of a positive outcome were greater, down, just basically down to we hadn't got numbers there. Yeah. So actually in this situation you have Johnny Sexton, you have Robbie Henshaw and Keith Earls. You're saying that if that English nine goes there, straight away you have a four and three. Yeah, we do. Well, obviously, um, Kearney has a lot of, of ground, but he starts somewhere. And obviously, usually what will happen is 
because he can obviously move last minute and that's mm. all fine but as a decision maker you're feeding into your scrum what type of a scrum you want so if you have got a midfield scrum often we'll feed into Fee who is our um, pack leader and um, what type of a scrum you want so we would call up White say for example and that's just for them to, to stay steady okay. which in, it means that it allows them just to put the ball in them to stay steady and then our nine and our ten to decide which way we go based on where this guy is when the ball is coming out Okay, so if if we had of pre-scrum said, if we had of said we want an angle on, we want you to, to bring it up to the right or to the left, then we'd be predetermined that we want to go to that side um, and therefore that's predetermined and, and therefore when this guy moves in the middle of that scrum, um, we can't capitalise on it, okay? And whereas if we if we ask the pack to engage and keep it centred, then it means that our 9 and 10 can react according to where this guy is and exploit where he isn't. Okay. okay, so obviously if Kearney, when they put the ball in, if Kearney had moved in, moved across, then we would have uh, exploited this side, whereas Kearney stayed, so technically England probably should have gone yeah. the other way. But they did come this way and they still actually yeah. made ground, so... You can make any, anything good to say yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. How much is that uh, kind of... I guess that strategic feeding into mm. the forwards. Does, does the same apply at line-out time? Are you feeding in a message there like, listen, this is the exact kind of ball we want? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a little bit trickier with line-outs, um, but similarly, it's it's given feedback as to um, w where we want to attack, as like if there's a space at the back of the line-out, for example. But definitely, we can we can we can uh, manipulate what happens while the ball is in a scrum, um, while it's actually happening based on what's happening outside of the scrum, definitely. Okay. Do, do different teams have, um, I suppose, a limit on what they do in this area? Because one of the things with England <coughs> we've noticed probably is they play three or four phases in this amber zone and if they don't make a big game, they'll send a massive bomb up from George Ford and, and try and chase and maybe even regather the kick. And They've actually done that quite well. Do, do teams maybe put limits on themselves, say, Look, let's try four or five phases and then and then move on. Is that kind of thing happening? Yeah, I, I do think so, and it's probably it's probably based on on what is happening and if they have an understanding as to what we want to achieve from this zone, and if it's identified that we're not achieving that in four, five, six phases, then naturally your your your, your mentalities you're shifting to a different tactic to try and get that outcome. So I suppose what we're saying in this zone, our outcome we want to achieve is we want to definitely maintain possession but we also want to advance in our position so if you find that your choice of um, your choice of call is not achieving that then you want to try and maintain momentum and, and get it further down whether that's a little kick but again as well if we micro play that if you identify even though we're 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 not making ground but it's not it's not worrying and yeah. um, but however if your 10 identifies that your winger has just come up into the line and there is space out there then he's got freedom to think it over to try and exploit that space because again this is the zone where we're trying to um, yeah. to uh, advance further up the pitch yeah i think ireland have actually attacked quite well in this area they've even set piece was in grade there was a strike johnny went through johnny sex went through against wales a kind of double screenplay mm. worked really well against england some of the kind of rugby league style shapes with the forwards passing mm. worked really well to get to that width. It's probably been the positive, but I would guess that's maybe because there's a little bit less, I don't know, mental pressure on them. When you get into that 22, mm. you kind of have to score. But Ireland seem a little bit freer and a little bit more willing to not take risks, but, but maybe try something different in that area. Would that be a fair assessment of things, mm. do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, that's brilliant to see. Obviously, we're, we're trying to promote. We know that they've got buckets of talent um, and buckets of skill, and we're trying to promote that kind of play because I suppose ultimately, as a back, and um, the more um, the more creative 
the, um, the, the attack have obviously is way harder to defend and in this zone there is a lot of space so there's a lot more um, opportunity to exploit and to make ground um, so that's, it's great to see Ireland doing that because they have got it, they just need to actually put it into practice so that they equally can put that into practice in our, in our um, point scoring zone. Yeah. For an outside back outside in a zone is it like as a 13 or as a wing maybe you probably tend to get more probably the only place you get real one-on-one -on -one opportunities is that something that maybe as a 13 you're always scanning for where's the prop where's mm. the Whereas Mike Ross on the opposition team. Yeah, I do, no yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know different sides call it different things. I think mismatch is probably the best politically okay. correct way of calling it. But absolutely, if I saw a, um, a forward in the back line, in particular if you saw a slow forward in the back line, or for example, if you saw a slow back in the back line, we want to exploit that. You know, and again, similar things like little injuries. Um, um, people's weaknesses left hand right hand you know you want to push people onto their weaker hand for example and they're all the things that you're processing in your mind and feeding them to uh, other players to be able to exploit those gaps anything to make a bit of space to be honest okay let's hope Aaron Sanders can find that Italian front row this weekend <laughs> so I guess now we look at the green zone as we're going to call it here today Ireland attacking in the Italian 22 this weekend and um, what are the kind of core strategic thinkings here what are the elements that they really need to think about Ireland here mm. Um, I suppose we've we've identified the three different uh, outcomes that we're trying to achieve from each different zone and every play. It's not just zone, it's every play. So we identified here, obviously, a lot of it is about position. A lot of it's here is about possession and similar position. And most certainly in this zone, we're looking for points, so your three Ps. Um, there's loads of different tactics that we can do to convert our possessions to points, um, but ultimately we need to come away um, with points from this mm. zone. What are some of those tactics? Um, I suppose in this zone we know that the defence are going to be quite aggressive and um, we know that um, the line speed is going to be harder and therefore we're going to be under pressure so commonly we'll have a lot more short targets and um, the Aussies do it quite well and New Zealanders obviously they'll have that backdoor option the Welsh do it quite well obviously too mm. so that's that's definitely more advanced play and um, but I suppose if you're struggling and not if you're struggling but I suppose if you're if your outcome you most certainly need to it doesn't matter how attractive it is you need to come away from points there you just want nice and short targets but really really tidy really, really easy targets targets and um, that are easy for the forwards to come on to and secure that ball and um, then they're, they're the type of plays that you will call in order to make sure that you come away with points like does that mindset like you have to score points is, is that a negative thing or, or should it be a negative thing because it, it seems from the outside that Ireland do tighten up a little bit and something mm. that they've rejected they say no look our players are free free in, in the 22 to do what mm. they what they see but it seems like it tightens up mentally a little bit. Mm, I think so, um, to a certain extent. I think that's only natural. I suppose that's the challenge of professional players and every player is, is that you have to be able to manage that because ultimately this is the easiest zone to score points in. It's probably one of the only zones that you can score points in because obviously there's the try line. Yeah. So as a result of it, you have to be able to cope with that uh, to convert that into points. Okay. Is, is, is it actually aiming to win a penalty, is that a strategy in the 22? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, certainly. And again, it, it's taken in the context of the game. Um, <coughs> but say, for example, we spoke earlier about when Italy and um, France played in the first game of the Six Nations and Italy were so close um, to being able to get a penalty because France are, are known to be indisciplined in, in that that stage of the game anyway yeah. and definitely in their um, their own 22 and defending their own 22 but Parise took the drop goal which which failed and most certainly that was 15, 16, 17 phases very very good strategy to be able to say just pressure 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 once the Irish mindset is that we are ultimately always trying to make ground but it needs to be safe and we will more than likely force the defence to give away a penalty and then we've got three points thank you very much okay like the thing we most commonly see as you, as you mentioned is 
just one out, hit up, another ruck, try and lengthen that ruck out so it's hard for them to fold around. We've mm -hmm. talked about it on this show quite a bit. Like, when you're analysing opposition teams in this green zone, are, are there weaknesses there or is it always pretty much they're going to come up hard at us, they're going to, yeah. I don't know, just float up and, and tackle us hard? Or can you pick out little chinks in that area? Yeah, you definitely can pick up chinks in the area, but to be honest with you, a lot of behaviours that are shown in your 22 are behaviours that will be shown elsewhere too. Okay. Um, so very rarely, I don't know if defences have the ability, definitely individually players commonly don't have the ability to change if they've got a... a bad habit in defence, they'll probably produce it there, they'll probably produce it here. Um, so I think that from a game plan, we spoke earlier about strategy, is that even though you're in this zone and their defensive 22, um, the same type of behaviour is going to tease out to try and make the defences make stakes there as you would here. So okay. it doesn't have to change too much. Say for example, we had a strategy against England in the uh, World Cup, the semi-final in 2014 that we lost, um, but one of the strategy was that we could see that our, the English pillar um, drifted quite soon. Um, didn't come up and out as a pillar is supposed to just mind that zone. Kill that space, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So we identified very, very soon that uh, certain players, actually only two players, decided to um, to drift out regardless of whether they were there or there. And we had a, a call that was just a back inside call, which obviously a lot of teams do have. Okay, so um, you spotted that person in the pillar position, yeah. and the call went out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, it didn't work, but uh, that's good. <laughs> but that was something that we identified, yeah. and they actually routinely in other games have done it quite a lot. So absolutely bingo if they do that in your game and you see it and the right people are there brilliant yes. I mean that's that, that sums up strategy because it's not a philosophical decision oh mm. we're going to play this way it's pinpointing something in the opposition mm. and going this can actually give us a try or three points yeah. and, and win us the game that, yeah. that sums up perfectly and actually Ireland's only two tries in this tournament so far have come from that pillar maybe missing his tackle Conor Murray scored them both times yep. Justin Tipperick I think probably got too eager on, on marking CJ Sand around the corner and yeah. shot up but um yeah, that's amazing. So those little maybe individual weaknesses actually go into the, the overall strategy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think that's the thing. Obviously, it's the job of the video analysts and the coaches to be able to identify these little things. But I think it's really important to remember that point of behaviours. Behaviours are commonly, um, they, if they're there, you'll start to see them there in other parts of the pitch as well. And they're the type of things that you're just um, you're more alert to and try to exploit. So let's talk strategy against Italy. What are they? I guess what are the behaviours you see in that Italian defence? Where are the opportunities for it? I think it's I think there's plenty. I think um Italy are are a good team, um, but relative to the other teams at the moment, I think they are not as good as the rest. So I think there's opportunities um, in a lot of places. I suppose if we're talking about Ireland's attack, Italy's defence is quite scattered, I think. Mm. You know, yes, they're good at, um, at a, a drift defence um, because they're commonly on the back foot and trying to just save at all costs. But it's clear that when you look at their defence, they second-guess quite a lot of decisions that they all make. So as opposed to just having that basic framework that they all trust, they know instinctively, you, you know exactly what everybody else is going to do, they're not going to make a basic defence in defence, or make a basic mistake in defence, they seem to commonly be watching, are you going to get that tackle, where am I supposed to be in this rock, do I need to help you, do I not need to help you, as opposed to if we if we soaked up probably two or three of those decisions or those questions that they'd have, then it leaves them an awful lot more space to be able to say, you know, what do I need to do, where, I, where am I needed, where am I going to be mo the most effective, so I think um, I think one of the prime examples of that is Parise. I think he, he seems to, he seems to, again, it's my opinion, but he seems to tr be trying to do a lot of people's jobs. And I wonder how many rooks that he does go into, because he just seems to be standing out, standing out the whole time. That's probably why he gets his hand on the ball the whole time. Um, 
but I think from that point of view, Italy are vulnerable. Um, and how we exploit that is that we have to be quite reactive to their space because I think their space is going to be everywhere. So as opposed to us being too prescriptive as to what we want to do, um, I think we have to be ready to react because there are going to be spaces there yeah. and we need to be able to just align that to exploit them. Couldn't agree with them more because you look back at the tries they've actually conceded in this championship and there's so much variety to the attack. Yeah, yeah. They may start with one yeah. idea, but they'll actually cut back against the grain, go back left, go back right. Mm throwing an offload maybe, <laughs> not, not reacting to the defensive uh, kind of alignment or the, mm. this passive tackle. So yeah, I think there's massive opportunities there. It's going to be really exciting to see how Ireland attack. Like historically, Italy have maybe faded in the final quarter. And, and again, this championship, they've, they've kind of been in decent positions around the 60 minute mark and they've kind of faded out of the game. Maybe not always winning, but, but in contention. Is that part of Ireland's strategy? Does that thinking come into it? Mm -hmm. I think it has to be. Um, I think that like we've seen it in every game and as we spoke about you know behaviors that happen they they are reproducible previous behaviors usually predict uh, future behaviors and um, so England tiring in 60 minutes I don't think they're an unfit team but whether it's mentality um, or their mindset whatever so we need to exploit that um, uh, uh, different ways that we can exploit that Ireland can play a certain game in the first half and if it all goes according to plan, they can change that in the second half, which is going to obviously take Italy by surprise potentially. Now, if it happens that how we play in the first half, we exploit them a lot and score lots of tries, then great, let's keep on going with that. But if you find that they're staying in touch like they have done against England and they have done against France, and we go into that second half, um, us changing how we play, I don't think Italy will be as reactive and able to react to that because as you say, as we've spoken about already before, um, they they haven't got that ability to react as much, which means that um, we're definitely on the front foot there and hopefully can convert that. Absolutely. It'd be fascinating to see what kind of game plan Ireland put out there. Mm. Thanks a million for your insight. Really enjoyed having you in. And thanks everyone for watching at home. Uh, don't forget to subscribe on YouTube. And we'll be back next week, hopefully reflecting on Ireland's first win of the 2016 Six Nations. Cheers.